Good morning, Grace Chapel. I wanted to talk to you this morning about how our words matter, how words have power. See, both George Orwell and Aldous Huxley agreed with that statement, words have power. However, only one of them was right when it comes to how words now rule over our lives. Neil Postman, writing prophetically back, all the way back in 1985, he contrasted Orwell and Huxley, and he sums up their differences. Postman writes, What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture. When it comes to words, Huxley was right. We suffer from information overload. We're flooded with words. We're drowning in a sea of irrelevance. We have become a trivial culture. We've become a people reduced to passivity and egoism. All of this information, this news, it turns us inward. It overwhelms us. We become consumed with ourselves and our steady intake of these words only feed our fears, our worries, and our despair. If I can paraphrase the 1970s five-man electrical band. Words, words, everywhere words, blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the words? See, words place demands upon us. This is how they exert power over us. They block out the scenery. They break our minds. They declare, do this, don't do that. They hold us captive. There is power in words. Let me give a personal illustration to tie this all together. Hands down, this was the worst job I have ever worked. It was during the seminary in the winter of 2007. My job was to listen to news broadcasts from around the country and then summarize their content. Apparently, companies pay good money for this information. It was a miserable job. I honestly, this was the shortest job I ever worked. It only lasted a few days. And I don't recommend doing this, but I quit within like two, three days. I walked out during a break and said, enough, I can't do this anymore. See, what happened is during these few brief days, this famous model, Anna Nicole Smith, died. So for eight hours every night, I'm listening to news broadcast after news broadcast over and over. It's about her suspicious death, celebrating her checkered life. So much information pouring out that the very loss of her life became trivialized. The very same thing just recently happened when Kobe died. The news overwhelmed us. I remember being flooded with an overwhelming amount of this news footage celebrating her life and countless discussions as to why she died seemingly so young. One news station, as I was watching it, cut away from all the chatter about Anna Nicole Smith to tell a 15-second news story about how a five-year-old child was gunned down. I remember thinking, 
What made Anna Nicole Smith's life more valuable and worthy of time than that precious five-year-old? There is something inherently wrong with news as a medium. Neil Postman writing in his prophetic book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he basically argues that the news makes us dumb. So why did I quit? I've never become so depressed so quickly than by working this job. A steady diet of news, a steady diet of words held a dark power over me. These words crushed my soul. Recently, actually as of last year, Casey Newton wrote a really powerful piece for The Verge, an online magazine called The Trauma Floor. The Secret Lives of Facebook Moderators in America. In that article, he details similar stories, somewhat even more pronounced, of those I face. They're real people, not computer algorithms, have to siphon through all of the hate speech, all of the pornography, all of the violence, and even the actual murders that take place live on Facebook. These are real people having to siphon through and censor all this information. And the article went on to talk about the disturbing, deep mental health issues that they face from having to do such, moderating such disturbing content. It was a soul-crushing job. It's a slightly longer introduction to prove a simple point. Words have power over us. They will either induce fear, worry, and despair, or will they offer comfort, hope, and peace. See, words can kill us, or words can give us life. So let me ask us this question today. What words are we listening to the most? What words are we filling our hearts and minds with? today. Our comfort and hope have only one true source, God himself as revealed to us in his word. The word of God is our source of comfort. This is what I want to remind us of today. We discover words of life and hope and peace in scripture. Comfort is found for us in God's holy word. So let's turn to God's word to find comfort this morning. Turn with me to Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, and let me read these words of God. The Word of God says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken a voice says cry and I said what shall I cry all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field the grass withers the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it surely the people are grass the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever Go up on a mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. 
Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rolls for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend this flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That is the power of God's Word this morning. Here's something as we, before we get into it, that I want us to see. The idea of speaking words of comfort and hope run throughout these chapters. They run throughout chapters 40 through 66. This was Isaiah's prophetic mission to declare, to speak, to proclaim. Look at the focus of these 11 verses. Speak tenderly. A voice cries. What shall I cry? Lift up your voice. Say to the cities. This is about our words mattering. Our words having power. Why is this important for us? Because these words are given today for our comfort and our hope. These prophetic words spoken 2,700 some years ago maintain their purpose and power for us today. These words of comfort and hope for Israel as they're about ready to face a Syrian exile, they remain words of comfort and hope for us today, whatever experience we face whether it be the coronavirus or something later that will surely come. These words of the prophet Isaiah are words from the Lord to His people throughout all generations. Therefore, as followers of Christ, brothers and sisters, here is what we must be do and what we must be reminded of. We must both listen to and speak these words of comfort and hope to ourselves and to others. We must listen to and speak these words of comfort and hope to ourselves and others. What then are these words we need to hear and speak? There's two main points I want to address this morning. First, we prepare the way of the Lord by listening and receiving God's never-ending comforting gospel words. And secondly, we are to proclaim the greatness of our God by speaking words of gospel hope to one another. Again, prepare the way of the Lord by listening to and receiving God's never-ending comforting gospel words. And secondly, proclaim the greatness of our God by speaking words of gospel hope to one another. God's Word No other word. God's word is where we find our comfort and hope. The first point, we prepare the way of the Lord by receiving God's never-ending, comforting gospel words. Look again at verse 1. The first phrase, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Do you notice here that before we even encounter words of comfort, we encounter our God of comfort. He tells the prophet to speak words of comfort to his people. Even, I mean, this is remarkable to me. Even in spite of the sin and rebellion, God remains the God of his people. 
He is a covenant keeping God. He tells Isaiah to speak to their hearts, speak persuasively. He gives an invitation. Here is my love. Here is your chance to respond to that covenant love. I like how one commentator said of this language, he says it is tender covenantal language. It is the covenant-keeping God speaking tenderly to His covenant-breaking people. Brothers and sisters, this is mercy. This is grace that God, the God of heaven and earth, would speak such words of comfort to such wayward people. What words of comfort and hope are we to receive? There are four sub-points I want us to see this morning. Each of these four subpoints are all about reversals, how God takes what is and reverses it and puts it and turns it and fixes it and takes what is broken and restores it. He makes all things new. And the first two subpoints are found in verses one to two. The prophet cries, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquities pardon, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The first word that we need to hear for ourselves is that our warfare has ended. For Israel, this was both physical and spiritual warfare because of their spiritual rebellion against the Lord. He sent physical punishment. They were destroyed and carried off into exile by the Assyrians in 722 BC. See, there are always consequences for our sin, for our spiritual rebellion. But more importantly for us, our spiritual warfare is that we, as a rebellious people, have been waging war against God. We were his enemies. We intentionally, purposefully, and willfully rebelled against him. And because of our sin, he stood against us. Our relationship, our broken covenant relationship was actually a relationship of enmity, of war. But the good news is that that war has ended in Christ. Here are the words, the hopeful words of Paul in Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God shows and demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. While we were still sinners. We were once enemies. We deserve the wrath of God. Elsewhere, Paul describes us as dead in our trespasses and sins, enslaved to the prince of the world. But that was our story. Brothers and sisters, hear these good words. Our warfare has ended. We who were once enemies are reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Once rebellious, wayward children, now beloved, adopted sons and daughters. That is our story now. All because of God's love and Christ's sacrifice for us. The second thing we need to hear is this. Our iniquity is pardoned. Look at verse 2 again. 
says her iniquity is pardoned. What a beautiful, wonderful foretaste of Isaiah 53. It's a promise of what's to come. It's a foretelling of something greater that's about ready to unfold. And then when we come to that towering mountain of Isaiah 53, the doors are blown open. Isaiah 53 is probably one of those most remarkably Christ-centered chapters in all of Scripture. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Brothers and sisters, hear these good words. Our iniquity has been pardoned. By believing in Jesus Christ, we are saved from Him, from the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The third thing, the third good words, the gospel words we need to hear is this. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Listen to verses 3 and 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In Ezekiel 10, the glory of the Lord leaves the temple. Now Isaiah promises its return. The glory of the Lord will return. But not as it was before. One commentator writes, After the long night of sin and warfare... The time of darkness brought on by the sins of the people. At last, God Himself is coming again to His own. Our Lord returns. God comes to His own. There's a shift here. I like how another commentator said this, Nothing in the world can deter Him. Not deserts, mountains, or valleys. He is unstoppable reality. But now the picture shifts from God to humanity, and the difference is shocking. We move from eternity to temporality, from power to powerlessness, from significance to insignificance. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. It is certain and sure. God's very eternal word assures us of that certainty. Isaiah says, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Paths will be made straight. Valleys will be lifted up. Mountains will be made low. Uneven ground will be made level. Rough places turned into plains. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. So how has God revealed His glory? We look no further than Jesus Christ. The resplendent glory of the Lord leaves the temple only to return in the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Salvation comes and that is nothing else but the presence of God with His people. Emmanuel, God 
with us. Brothers and sisters, the third piece of good news is that we need to hear is that the glory of the Lord has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The fourth subpoint of how we prepare the words we need to hear in our own hearts is this. The word of our God will stand forever. Look again at verses 6 to 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I think that's one thing we're kind of grasping right now. We're not very comfortable with it. Human life is but a fleeting vapor. Here one minute, gone the next. In this time of fear and worry, we are constantly being reminded of the brevity of life. You and I are no different than the flower in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. And notice who is behind it all. The breath of the Lord blows on it. He, the Lord, the Creator God, is both the giver and taker of life. Psalm 103 says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and is gone. And its place knows it no more. But God's word never dies. It is eternal, everlasting, never ending. Brothers and sisters, the words we need to remind ourselves of this. The comforting and hope-giving word of our Lord is everlasting. Psalm 119, remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort and my suffering is this. Your promises preserve my life. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. We find comfort in the word of God. In it we hear comforting, tender, covenant-loving words. What are those words? Your warfare has ended. Your iniquity has been pardoned. The glory of the Lord is revealed in Jesus Christ. And the comforting and hope-giving word of the Lord endures forever. These are words we need to hear. These are words we need to believe. But we must not stop with ourselves. These are words we must also proclaim. And that brings us to our second main point. We are to proclaim the greatness of our God by speaking words of gospel hope to one another. So what are those gospel words we need to be sharing with one another? Listen to verses 9 through 11. Go on up to a mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rolls for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. 
He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. If we could sum up these verses, this good news that we must proclaim, proclaim it is this. God is great because he is a warrior shepherd. This isn't something that we are able to be quiet about. This isn't a secret word of the Lord that we're supposed to hide under a basket. This is good news. In fact, as God's people, we stand in a long line of God's people. We are heralds of that good news. If you are in Christ, His messenger, you are His ambassador. That is your identity. You are a messenger, a herald, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must proclaim. We must proclaim first the mightiness of our God. He is a warrior. Verse 10 says the lawyer comes with might. His arm rules for him. He comes bringing his reward and recompense. He is the Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Next week, we'll dig deeper into just how great this God is. Nothing and no one compares with Him. Brothers and sisters, believe that there is no one mightier than our warrior God. Great is our God. Great is our God. We need to proclaim that. The second thing we must proclaim is the goodness of our God. He is the good shepherd. Verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers up his people into his arms like a shepherd does with lambs. He gently leads us. See, we see in John 10 that Jesus is the fulfillment of the good shepherd pictured in Psalm 23. Jesus is our shepherd. We shall not be in want. Jesus makes us lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads us beside still waters. Jesus restores our soul. Jesus leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus' rod and staff comfort us. Jesus prepares for us a table in the presence of our enemies. Jesus anoints our heads with oil. Jesus is the one who extends goodness and mercy so that they will follow us all the days of our lives. Why? Because Jesus is our good shepherd. Notice here, the mightiness of God as warrior, the goodness of God as shepherd. He is both sovereignly powerful and supremely loving. And it's necessary for him to be both. What good is a powerful God who is not loving? What encouragement is it to have a loving God who isn't powerful enough? Our God is loving and compassionate enough that he plans our salvation and he is powerful and mighty enough to carry it out. And that is good news. So brothers and sisters, that is the news we must proclaim to others. It is this. Our God is great because he is a warrior who fights for us and a shepherd who cares for us. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Indeed, interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We are more than conquerors. Nothing will be able to separate us from the mighty, powerful love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, we need to speak 
these gospel words to our own hearts. And then we need to turn outwardly and speak them to others. We need to prepare the way of the Lord in our own hearts. And we need to proclaim the greatness of our God to others. We must be telling others of the never-ending comforting words of gospel hope that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, our warfare is ended, our iniquity is atoned for, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what are we left to do? To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Behold your God. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Him, find comfort and hope in His life-giving words. They are, for us, a firm foundation. Our Father, how firm a foundation is laid for us, for our faith in Your excellent Word. What more can You say to us than flee to Jesus for refuge? Your word comforts us. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hands. And we, brothers and sisters in Christ, have hope. Oh, Lord, thank you for the hope you give us that when through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. You promise us, Lord, that I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify you, your deepest distress. When through fiery trials the pathway shall lie, your grace, all sufficient, shall be our supply. The flame shall not hurt us, your only design, your dross to consume us, and your gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. O Lord, you are our covenant-keeping God, who will never, no, never, no, never forsake. Father, may we be those souls who lean on Jesus. May we be those souls who find comfort in the mighty and good name of our warrior shepherd. May we be those souls who seek to and run to and prepare our hearts and proclaim the greatness of our God by going to your word. Words matter. Help us to see that your word matters the most. Above all else, your life-giving, eternal, everlasting, never-ending, enduring word is the word we need to be filling our hearts with. That is how we lean on Jesus. Spirit of God, work in our hearts so that we may lean on Jesus by feasting on your word. And it's in your great and mighty name we pray. Amen.